This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. I am an air fryer fan. So I am an air fryer. I use it all the time, mostly for tofu. And it's probably used like every day in our kitchen, probably even more than our oven, because I like a nice crisp on like roasted vegetables for tofu. I always recommend, even for someone who uh, is low vision or blind, in my community to start off with an air fryer, because if they're uncomfortable with, um, you know, open flames or the heat of the oven, just to get used to that, then the air fryer actually helps them get used to that that heat and and what to do. Love that. Yeah. Like once you get an air fryer, you don't go back. Hi, I'm Mary Mamaliti, the host and producer of the Kitchen Confession Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. Have you ever wondered what happened to the parts of an interview that didn't make it into a published episode? Well, you're in luck, because that's what today's episode's about. We try to keep each episode under 30 minutes, and Matt, well, he has to be a little ruthless in ensuring that this timeline is met. So this is where we share those extra snippets of some of our interviews. Settle in, grab your coffee, and let's begin. First up is with our good friend Carly Bodrug, talking all about her plant-based scrappy cooking. She's the founder and creator of the Plant You Meal Plan, cookbook author with a devoted online audience of millions on TikTok and Instagram. They're all enjoying her scrappy, low-waste recipes. So now let's hear from Carly sharing some sage plant advice. See what I did there? <laughs> I mean, when you did switch over to, to plant-based, did you notice an immediate positive changes, I mean, to your overall health or maybe your body when you switched that diet? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that was really dramatic that I noticed is I had grown up very, and for lack of better words, constipated to the point where I, um, I was prescribed laxatives when I was, I think 11 or 12. And I remember my doctor saying, Oh, she just has a very slow digestive system. So I thought it was just kind of the way I was. And only to learn when I went plant-based that that problem completely eliminated itself. So that was huge for me. And really delving into the research, it's super interesting because as a society, we focus, hyper-focus so much on protein, um, where over 90% of the population exceeds their daily amount of protein. Like we're, we're hitting our protein goals, no problem, even vegetarians and vegans, whereas over 95% of the population in North America does not reach the daily recommended intake of fiber. So a lot of us are walking around constipated and it's not due to um, slow digestive systems. It's due to diets probably devoid of fiber, being that um, meat and cheese do not contain any fiber and plants contain a ton. So it wasn't so much that uh, prior to going plant-based, it's not that anything fundamentally is, I'm not here to judge and say they're like eating meat and cheese is so wrong. It's that my diet prior to going plant-based was probably devoid of vegetables as a baseline. (laughs) So it's not good. So it was just a dramatic shift because really what I was left with to eat when I went plant-based was majority vegetables. So I saw like a dramatic shift from that. Right, and we're talking about your experience with it and what you found when you switched over. Yeah, and, exactly. Right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that everyone will notice a benefit from it. 
when you increase your fiber. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Some people experience the opposite. It's that they're, um, I get a lot of messages from people who go plant-based who say, oh, like I have a lot of gas or like my digestion's wonky. And what often happens is you're, if you have like for 25 years eaten of diet devoid of fiber, and then all of a sudden you're eating like green smoothies with like flaxseed and salads at dinner, like your digestive system is going and gut microbiome is going to take a while to adjust to that. Yeah. So. It's basically saying, what is this? What's happening? Yeah. What's Where is on? this coming from? Where I don't, I'm not used to this. So exactly. it takes, exactly. Like with anything, it takes a little bit of time, but what would you say is maybe the best part of being plant-based and what is the most challenging part about being plant-based? Best part about being plant-based is like, so I went plant-based for health reasons initially, vegan for health reasons initially, but just um, now I feel good about what's on my plate on a daily basis um, from an animal perspective. Like I definitely kind of went through, I don't want to say like a spiritual shift, but that's the best way to describe it. After being plant-based or vegan for about a year, it, it just became very apparent that everything we eat and et cetera, just has like a uh, an impact. So that's the biggest thing is just like, I'm very happy with that choice, um, mostly because of the environmental and the animal implications. The hardest part for me, I wouldn't say I face much. Um, it's not difficult now. It, it's second nature, but at the beginning, social situations were definitely the most challenging. Like I Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, Christmas dinners where you're typically having like turkey and like turkey gravy, etc. And then it's not so much that you're not participating in that, that it's the feeling of alienation. Like I have to tell my family, like I'm the vegan at the table. Um, you get used to that. So it doesn't bother me anymore. Everybody knows obviously <laughs> that I'm vegan and uh, I just bring my own kind of centerpieces. So it's never, yeah. never a problem, but it does take confidence. Even ordering off a restaurant menu when you have fr friends or family around the table can be, can be a little tough. I, you know, I'm just thinking about this because I think also what you're doing is helping someone, let's say someone like myself who is not vegan, um, who is moving a little more towards plant forward, I want to say, um, for, for many reasons. But even hosting, when you do have a guest who's vegan, what to serve, what to do. I mean, it's it's educating people that, I mean, it's not just giving someone who's vegan a bowl of carrots, let's say, right? Like there are, are so many other dishes that you can prepare for them. Um, and maybe even for yourself because they're delicious. Absolutely. Yeah, I think as a host, you're in a bit of a challenging position. And I often get this question from vegans themselves is like, what do I do when I'm coming over to somebody's place? And I think it's really good to be honest up front and say, hey, I'm vegan. Can I bring something? And that way you're really taking the onus off the host um, to begin with. And hopefully they will say yes. Um, but if you're the host and you're hosting somebody who's vegan and you're not vegan, I would say it's a really great opportunity to try something new, to make a new dish, whip out a cookbook, uh, Google plant-based recipes online, and try something new that hopefully everybody can share and enjoy. Um, oftentimes, vegans are really used to compiling meals out of sides. I always say like at a Thanksgiving table, as long as the mashed potatoes weren't made with butter, 
I am good. Like I could have a plate of mashed potatoes and gravy and, um, and like Brussels sprouts and the vegetable sides and be like perfectly happy. So just being mindful of the ingredients that you're using in dishes, like something like mashed potatoes, where it's not going to make any difference probably to the fundamental recipe if you use margarine instead. So being mindful, um, when you're serving stuff that you didn't use animal products in sort of those basic recipes. And then the other thing is just, um, serving meat on the side. So oftentimes if you're making like a pasta dish and you have like, some people might put like ground beef right in the sauce, you could do like meatballs on the side where it's going to satisfy both parties who you're hosting. Yeah. They'll have like their pasta and sauce. And then whoever eats meat could have the meatballs and the same could be applied to like a curry, right? Maybe you have a shrimp curry, cook the shrimp on the side so that it can be enjoyed uh, by both. And this applies to people with, um, who are wanting to maybe have some more plant forward meals and their partner might not be on board. And we say like those foundational meals where the meat can be treated as a side dish, which really is how I think that meat should be treated anyways, not be the main portion on the plate. Um, I think it's an excellent way to approach it. Oh, I love that. I love that idea. Because you run into that thing where someone says, I don't have time to make two separate dishes. Exactly. Exactly. And then are there any tips for plant-based baking? Yes, lots of plant-based baking tips. So egg replacer, I typically do flax meal. So it's ground flaxseed, one tablespoon mixed with two tablespoons of water will replace one egg in baking and very healthy for you. Flax uh, meal is full of omegas. So super, super good fat source to inject into your diet. That's a big one. It's replacing the eggs, milk, there's plant-based milks, butter, there's margarine. So there's typically like one-to-one replacements, but the egg replacer, you can even replace with um, mashed banana, applesauce, um, are all good egg replacers as well for a binder. Now we talked about nutritional yeast, but what ingredients do you consider or what other ingredients do you consider absolutely indispensable in plant-based cooking? So I always have some sort of grains in my cupboard for like the base of bowls. So you can have like a whole wheat pasta or like a red lentil pasta if maybe you are gluten-free. Rice I always have in my cupboard. So I always have a few different grain bases and then beans. Beans are like such a mainstay in plant-based cooking. So chickpeas, I love green peas in my um, in my freezer and lentils, dry lentils. We cook with red lentils all the time. I would say tofu or some sort of plant-based protein source. Tempeh is fantastic as well. Um, If you haven't tried, soy curls are delicious. And then veggies, whatever veggies you like. I always tell people to like try a new veggie every week and rotate that until you kind of like see which ones are your favorite. But we typically have bell peppers, carrots, spinach, kale, Um, in our refrigerator every week. What about kitchen tools? What are some of your most used kitchen tools that you would recommend maybe to home cooks? Yeah, most used kitchen tools. So the big thing is, and this like really transformed my cooking when I got a new nice knife set. I thought I like was terrible at cutting stuff, which I, I'm honestly not great. Like I don't have these great knife skills or anything, but when I got some like high quality knives or at least one chef's knife, it makes such a dramatic uh, difference in the prep of your vegetables or your tofu or whichever, whatever you're cooking, whether it's meat or 
vegan because um, it speeds things up. I think it's safer and um, you'll, you'll just feel more confident in the kitchen. So one good chef's knife is a good thing to get a good investment, good investment for Christmas. Um, Secondly, good cutting board, good wood cutting board. When you go plant-based, you're prepping a ton of veggies. So you want to have a good prep space. I use my like pan, like a good deep sauce, not a saucepan, but um, like a, just a non-stick pan you want. Cause I make like curries and stir fries constantly. And most vegans do. It's just typically like your weeknight meal is like throwing all the veggies and tofu in your fridge in with some sort of sauce. So you want a really, really good non-stick pan that's large so it can hold a large quantity of food. So those are the three main things, good cutting board, good chef's knife. Um, And I am a fan. I am an air fryer fan. So I have an air fryer. I use it all the time, mostly for tofu. And it's probably used like every day in our kitchen, probably even more than our oven, because I like a nice crisp on like roasted vegetables or tofu. But it's not a must have. If I was like starting somebody off at their kitchen, I get them a chef's knife, a cutting board, a pan, a baking sheet and a nice uh, pan, nonstick pan. Well, it's interesting because when you said air fryer, I always recommend even for someone who uh, is low vision or blind, um, in my community to start off with an air fryer, because if they're uncomfortable with, um, you know, open flames or the heat of the oven, just to get used to that, then the air fryer actually helps them get used to that, that heat and, and what to do. Yeah. I feel like it's, like once you get an air fryer, you don't go back to like, it's like the vegetables are just so crispy, <laughs> like tofu cooks up so quick and gets so crispy in an air fryer. So it really does. And I feel like the same thing's kind of happening with slow cookers and instant pots Yeah, yeah. where the instant pot is kind of replacing the slow cooker. It has for sure. It for has, sure. but I said, st- I'm still hanging on to mine, <laughs> hanging on to that slow cooker. I love it. <laughs> Food writer, content creator, and cookbook author Hannah Sundarani and I get into planning easy weeknight dinners. She shares her go-to, quick, flavorful packed dinner, and then she talks about a popular food that she began experimenting with while she was living abroad in France. So you're short on time, you need to make an easy dinner, what's your go-to? Oh, that's a really good one. So the ratatouille is good because you can kind of throw it in, in advance and then sort of come back to it. Um, It's a really good recipe to reheat as well. There's also a lot of like really easy side dishes. So like my green beans, almondine, like it's so easy to do. It literally takes like maybe 10 minutes. Um, You're literally just like throwing green beans in a frying pan with some olive oil, adding Mm -hmm. a squeeze of lemon, and then you're adding toasted almonds to it. And this dish considering how simple this dish is it is so good (laughs) like every time I make it my husband and I are like oh like we eat the whole thing we're like this is so tasty so there's lots of really like simple things like that I also have some recipes that are inspired by nearby culture so I've got a recipe for some oven baked falafels Mm -hmm. uh, which is Lebanese inspired and 
when I was in France, uh, Lebanese food was really popular. Um, and there were lots of restaurants um, that featured this food. And so that's a really good recipe that you can kind of prepare in advance. And then um, when you get home, you can just like um, grab a few of them and then serve it alongside something like the green beans almondine. Um, there's some really good bliss bowls in there. A lot mm -hmm. of the recipes that you make are really good reheated, which I love because it sort of makes like a bigger batch and then you can enjoy it throughout the week. So if you have a little bit of time on Sunday, you can make something like my mushroom bourguignon and then you can know that it's going to taste delicious for the next two to three days. Um, even my balsamic mushroom risotto from the cookbook, mm -hmm. it's another really good one that reheats. So um, it takes like maybe 30 minutes to make, but then you know that you're going to have really good leftovers to enjoy for the coming days. Now we mentioned ratatouille a couple of times. Can we just walk through a quick ratatouille? Yeah. So you're going to throw in a bunch of like different vegetables. So basically what a ratatouille is, is like, it's like a bunch of different summer vegetables, like mm -hmm. summer squash, zucchini, so tomato, and then you're going to infuse it with um, some classic French herbs. So things like thyme and basil, and uh, it's basically like a big stew. So you just kind of throw it all in a pot with this tomato sauce and you just kind of let it simmer and cook in its own juices. You're going to add some olive oil in there for a little bit of fat. And uh, at the end, you've got this like really soft, supple ratatouille. In the cookbook as well, I've got it like beautifully designed in like these slices, but I give you two versions. So if you don't have time to like slice and prepare it in this sort of like, um, it's like a little, it sort of looks like a snail, like going around the skillet. I have another version in the cookbook that I explain where you can literally just throw it in a pot and then either come back to it, or you can even put it in the oven and come back to it and have it as a stew. And I actually really, I always like, I don't know about you, but I love ratatouille topped with a little bit of cheese. So I'll take one of my vegan cheeses from the cookbook and I'll just like cut a little slice and top it with the cheese. And it's so good. Do you keep that? Be honest, do you keep a little jar of herbs de Provence in your cabinet? Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have like three versions of them. It's so French. And it's so good. Yeah. Especially I, in the ratatouille. Sometimes you just kind of put a little dash of it. Oh, yeah. I I don't know if I mentioned the herbs de Provence, but there is two teaspoons of herbs de Provence. <laughs> is there? Oh, okay. yeah, of course. You've got, you got to get it. And it covers all bases, too. Like, it's got, like, all the, like, main herbs in it so you're kind of I love that because it's sort of like pre-prepared for you um and it's so French what is your favorite thing about cooking uh definitely the sharing I just love sitting together and sharing a meal and like something that's really good like I'm one of those people who like I just love to eat and so every time I'm hungry is an opportunity for me to like eat something delicious. Like once I'm done my, my meal, I'm looking forward to the next time I'm hungry <laughs> so that I get to eat something delicious again. Like I'm always thinking of my next meal. Um, and so I love the idea that when you put a little bit of time and effort into thinking about what you want to make, it turns into an experience for you and for everyone that you love. And so 
like sitting down and I'm notorious for this. Like if my husband is in the kitchen and he's like making something for himself, I am the wife that hovers behind his shoulder <laughs> and is like, you should add this. And he's like, leave me alone. Like, but I just want him to have such an enjoyable experience. <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely for me. It's like the best part about cooking is the sitting down to eat and having like that wonderful experience. Up next is Christine Ha. Some may know her as the blind chef and others may remember her as the winner of season three Master Chef. This restaurateur and cookbook author is talking about food memories. Get ready to be transported back in time as she talks about traditional Vietnamese dishes. Immediately when you started asking that question, I thought of my mom's pho or beef noodle soup. Um, mm. It's a very traditional Vietnamese dish. I feel like everyone everywhere has, if they've heard of Vietnamese food, they've probably heard of pho. And it's a, a long dish to make because you're really you're trying to coax out the, 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 the broth is just, you're, you're coaxing out the flavor from the, the bones being cooked down for a, many, many hours. And mm -hmm. so it was something that my mom only prepared on the weekends. And so when I smell it now, if I cook it, I always think back to a Saturday or a Sunday morning and waking up to the smell of pho broth cooking on the stove. And that's a very, very deep memory I have that hits me in a, a visceral mm -hmm. way. Um, another one is a simpler one is actually just the smell of jasmine rice steaming. Like anytime I, I cook jasmine rice in my rice cooker and I mm -hmm. smell it, the smell, the aroma fills the house. I always think of like my grandma and my aunts and, and my mom too, just like rice was all, there was always rice, you know? So you always smell the, that smell of the Rome of jasmine rice cooking in the house. And so to this day, when I smell jasmine rice cooking, it really takes me back to the memories of my childhood or even young adulthood when my family would steam rice mm -hmm. for almost every meal. On a more recent episode, I had a chance to chat with Erica Karbelnik. She's a chef, caterer, recipe developer, and Food Network Canada's Top Chef Season 9 winner. She answers this question for us. What do most people misunderstand about being a chef? Uh, I think especially nowadays with all the TV shows that are out there, um, it yeah. really glorifies it. Um, we don't live a glorified lifestyle. We don't, you know, we, we make next to no money when you work in a kitchen. It's really nothing to, you're not working in a kitchen to roll in the big bucks. Um, you're doing yeah. this career because you love it. Uh, it's stressful. It's hard. You get burned. You are up late. You miss family events. You are not there for your friends. You, it's quite lonely. Um, but when you love it, then you kind of just do it. Um, and I did that for a very, very long time. You know, I've been in the industry for almost 18 years and, um, more than half of that was spent on the line alone with my kitchen peers. They were my family. The kitchen was my okay. family. Um, so a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes. And a lot of people don't think, you know, like, I mean, back then we got yelled at, we got things thrown at us. You know, people will look at it and be like, oh, that's really funny. 
Um, it's not funny when it happens to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I remember planes exactly. flying across the pass. Um, there was one time a friend of mine had sent something up that he misread the chit and the chef got so mad. He just picked up a plate and this was like, it was a big kitchen. He picked up the plate from the pass and threw it all the way across the kitchen. And it literally landed directly on my friend's chef jacket and just no fell way. to the floor. And the chef looked at him and he's like, get out. And we all just like the kitchen just stopped. But then you have to start back right back up again. Like you heard silence for a quick second and then you heard pans and you heard seasonings and you heard yes chef like that was it um wow. yeah that was that was the kitchen back then like it was hard it was rough um you were in the military that's the best way that I can put it um but it makes some of the greatest chefs because you take those lessons and you you know it doesn't mean that I have to be that way being a chef it means that I've experienced that but I can choose my own path on who I want to be as a chef. I don't have to yell to get my point across, but I've been mm -hmm. through it. Um, so, yeah, it just all depends on. It's interesting because a lot of chefs say that they take what they've learned mm -hmm. and they've had those experiences which are less than enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And they do say that it's shaped them. Yeah. But every single one of you have said the exact same thing, that you use that knowledge and you teach it in a different way. Yep. Yeah. So you share it in a different way. Yeah. You have to learn your style of what kind of chef you want to be. Um, yeah. You know, I had a chef who, and this is horrible, um, and I would never, ever want to see it done to somebody else. But I had a chef who one time I went to go get a uh, creme brulee out of the oven. And I was just, you know, I wasn't just starting in the kitchen. I had been in the kitchen probably for about two to three years um, mm -hmm. after one and I went to go get creme brulees out of the oven and they come in, they, they come out and, you know, you put them in a bain marie, they're in a hot water bath. Um, so I went to go use a pair of tongs to take them out in a kitchen towel. My chef looked at me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking the creme brulees out of the bain marie. And he said, use your fingers. I said, I can't use my fingers. It's coming out of boiling hot water. Um, yeah. And he looked at me and he said, uh, fear or pain is fear leaving the body. And then every night before we closed, we used to have the French tops that were um, the cast iron French tops that lit a flame directly underneath. Um, so he, I mean, he was nice enough to wait at least 45 minutes, but we would turn all off all our ovens and he'd look at me and he'd say, okay, Erica, fingers. And he'd make me take the tip of my fingers and stick them directly onto the um, hot flat top to burn oh, off my yeah God. yeah he uh he made me burn off the tips of my fingers so that I wouldn't feel them um and I had to do that every night for like two months straight mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you've just rendered me speechless and yeah. that is difficult to do yeah I yeah. am so sorry you had to experience oh, that you know, but you know what it made me like I look back on it now and and I laugh about it like it's not it's definitely not a funny thing but um, it's, it's those stories that you have that turn you into the person that you are today, um, yep. to know that, you know, one, things like that are definitely not acceptable, but back then they were, um, and two, you don't want to be that person that does that. Like, I never want to be that chef that now this chef has a story like that about them. Um, but it's molded yeah. me into who I am today and I still have my fingers, so we're good. <laughs> 
Well, gang, that's all I've got for today. Remember, Cut for Time is just a small peek into what goes on around here. I loved hanging out with you. So let's do this again in two weeks. There's always a seat for you at our table. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. 